Good morning. <laughs> um, I will say, um, after that greeting, uh, that it is a delight to be back. And uh, I cannot, speaking for Diana and myself, I cannot thank you enough uh, for caring for us, loving us enough to provide the sabbatical experience, which you did. Um, today, um, just to kind of set the stage a bit, uh, just a little bit of background quick before I jump into my message to get, help you understand where it's coming from. Um, along with a plethora of activities, during my sabbatical, I did a fair amount of reading, um, including three books related to the history of the Wesleyan movement uh, and two books that could best be characterized as uh, personal-slash-professional development. I also took the opportunity, some of you were here years ago when we did a Bible reading experience called the 90-Day Bible. Anybody remember that? Our goal was to read through the entire Bible in 90 days. And I had this, I'm a simple guy. I thought, I'm on sabbatical for 90 days. I'm supposed to read. I'll read the 90-Day Bible. And so I read the Bible from cover to cover. And I have to tell you, after four decades of ministry, uh, it was incredibly refreshing to be blessed with the opportunity to just relax and read God's Word with no agenda, no expectations, no time pressure, no sense that I needed to look for sermon content as I read. Uh, I actually was very intentional about not letting it become uh, sermon fodder, if you will. Uh, but I, as I thought about where to go when I come back with my preaching, I did decide to close out our summer uh, by sharing just four messages uh, based on things that, that just especially impressed me as I read through the Bible. Um, not that there weren't other things that impressed me, uh, but there were four things, four stories, four themes that, that just were there whether I was looking for sermon content or not. That led to today, and my invitation, as the title slide says, my invitation is for each of you to wrestle with the question, what's my tipping point? Will you repeat that after me? What's my tipping point? Let me explain the title. Some of you probably already know, but as most of you know, from time to time, I have the privilege of assisting Todd Turner as he provides firearms training. One of the things that we have come to increasingly communicate to the students is that we're not terribly concerned about their current skill level as they come through training. But we are very concerned that they have an accurate understanding of what their skill level really is. In other words, whether they're a brand spanking new, never pulled a trigger before, or whether they're an experienced shooter, we want them to have an accurate understanding of what their current skill level is and we're also concerned that they have a motivation, whatever their skill level, that they have a motivation to get better. Today, by encouraging you to ask the question, what's my tipping point? My goal is for each of you to do some self-assessment as to the current state of your spiritual life and your motivation to improve. Now, I won't say that I don't care or I'm not concerned about whatever your spiritual level is right now. I'm very concerned about that. But I'm more concerned that you have an accurate understanding of where you're at spiritually. And I am very concerned that you have a motivation to improve. In other words, today the title is, 
asking the question, in what areas of my spiritual life am I inclined to put on the brakes and say, this is too hard? What's my tipping point? I'm assuming you understand what I mean by what's my tipping point, but in case you wondered, let's look at it. Tipping point, if I tip the chair back like this, now imagine if I were in it, that would be really uncomfortable. Uh, if I tip it back like this and I let go, it returns back to where it needs to be. But there is a point that I refer to as the tipping point that when I let go, it goes the other way. My concern is, is there a place in my spiritual life where I come to a point where I say, you know what, Jesus, I understand what you're asking of me. But it's just too hard. I'm not going to keep going. I'm going to go back. Or I'm going to fall off the table, if you will. This was impressed upon me as I read through the latter portion of chapter 6 in the Gospel according to John. Before we walk through the latter section, uh, let's just quickly remember what was in the first few verses. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open to chapter 6 in the Gospel of John. On your devices, same deal. Uh, or if you left them home, uh, I did print it out for you. So this is not the entire chapter 6, but it's portions that I'm specifically going to highlight. So just by way of re- reminder, in chapter 6, starting with verses 1 through 15, we have that wonderful story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Just a crazy, exciting story. Jesus is teaching. There's a huge crowd. It's late. Uh, we need to feed them. You all know the story. And he takes five loaves and two fishes, and he feeds 5,000. We're told 5,000 men. Uh, it's safe to assume that there were women and there were children. So many scholars say somewhere between 5,000 and 15,000 or more are fed with five loaves and two fishes. Some of you who have been here in the past and, and heard the uh, uh, Blessed Life series, you've heard Robert Morris teach on this, and he does a far better job than I do, and is far more ent- entertaining. But, but just wrap your head around that. That's where we start with John chapter 6. Then, immediately after that, as they're finishing up, Jesus and the disciples are getting ready to move on. They're on a, on a, a lake shore, or seashore, depending on how you want to define it, and they're going to go to the other side. And Jesus' disciples, they're all packed up, the boat's ready to go, and he's up on the hillside praying. And so eventually they think, if we're going to get there before it gets too dark and too nasty, uh, we got to go. Sorry, Jesus, the bus is packed, you're not here, we're leaving you. And so they take off. And again, you remember the story, uh, they get partway across, and it's nasty and it's stormy, and they see Jesus coming to them walking across the water. Now, depending on what research you do and where you look, some people say, well, it, it was actually, they were three, three and a half miles out. It's actually only a four to five mile trip across the lake. Jesus wasn't really walking on the water. He was walking around the shoreline, and from the lake they could see it. And uh, you know what? The Bible says he was walking on the water. I'm good with that, all right? Now, I respect the scholars who say differently. It's all good. The point of that story is, again, he just fed 5,000 people. There's a lot of excitement. And then they leave. Jesus joins them. And the next morning, people are saying, hmm, the boats left. Jesus wasn't on them. Now Jesus is over there with them. Something's up with that. 
Because what had happened is people heard, they were so excited by the feeding of the 5,000, they wanted to hear more from Jesus, and he left. They heard, oh, he just went across the lake. So some went, got in boats the next morning, went across and joined him. Some, they feel, may have walked around. So they track him down on the other side. Now, again, the point to be made is they've just seen him feed 5,000 people. They've heard about it. There's a buzz. They think something hinky's going on that he got over here before any of us could get over here. Not sure what's up with that. And that's where we pick up and where I'm going to pick up today. Starting with in your, in your uh, printed scripture that I gave you. John chapter 6, verse 25 is where I pick up. So he's fed 5,000 people. He's walked on water. Uh, people's minds are starting to turn as far as what's going on. Uh, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Kind of saying, how did you get here? What's up? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. In other words, you don't really care when I got here or how I got here. You want to know what's for breakfast, all right? He's telling them in that phrase when he says, you're not here, you're not asking because you saw signs that indicate something bigger is going on. You're here because you've got your belly filled. You're missing the point. And that's a theme throughout everything we're going to look at is you're missing the point. He goes on in verse 27. He says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God, works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? It's interesting. Because up to that moment, there's some incredible spiritual momentum. After Jesus fed the 5,000, one of the reasons he withdrew and sent his 12 Apostles or disciples away was he sensed the people wanted to make him king by force. He was on top of the world. From a preacher's standpoint, he had incredible ministry momentum. He could accomplish amazing things. Then starting in verse 25, he, he launches into this teaching on the bread of life. And in the passage that I just read, hopefully you had the same reaction I did. Fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, a bunch of food left over. Walked on water or somehow got from one place to another in ways nobody else could. And when he says, you're missing the point, they said, give us a sign. Am I the only one who says, uh, what was feeding 5,000 people? Was that maybe a sign? What was walking on the water or teleporting or however I got there? Was that not a sign? 
he's emphasizing to them, you're missing it. So, skipping down to verse 35, he continues as the excitement of what he had just done begins to fade. Verse 35, John chapter 6, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. So in other words, he's saying, you want a sign, you've had plenty of signs, and you still refuse to believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. In other words, they've gone from being excited because he provided physical food. And when he begins to point them to a spiritual solution, to bigger challenges that they have, they begin to get upset because he's equating himself with God. He is connecting himself with God in a way that they are unwilling to accept. And so they begin to grumble and complain. All of that upward momentum is now on a steep decline. And Jesus is not going to let up. He's going to push the point. And he goes on in chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, typically, we have one of two challenges when we process that section. On the one hand, as 21st century Christ followers, we look at that with our understanding of the sacrament of Holy Communion, and we tend to interpret that from that perspective. Okay, I understand his body, his blood, that's all part of it. This was before that. The other reaction we have is we think somehow... Because when people heard that, they did not respond well. We think that they're responding, they're repulsed by the sense of cannibalism. And I would contend to you that the, virtually all of those who heard Jesus say that, they weren't confused and thinking he was calling them to cannibalism. Now, understanding the Jewish faith, and, and they did have an issue with drinking blood, but they were also very familiar with a sacrificial situation or circumstance or expression of their faith, pouring blood out at the altar, taking animals and offering them as a burnt sacrifice. They were surrounded by pagan cultures that were sacrificial cultures. And it was common practice and common thought process 
that when I take something, a piece of meat from an animal, and I offer it as a sacrifice to to my God, my God enters into that. And then, again, you guys have read the stories, you understand. It was common that the, the, the meat offered to the God as a sacrifice would actually end up being a part of a feast. And it was a sense that once I eat this meat that has been offered to my God, a part of my God lives within me. And I take on some of the properties of my God. Now, the Jewish people, sacrifice was an important part. They offered sacrifices. That was how the priest got their food, was a portion of the animal sacrifice was for the priest to eat. So this was not a foreign concept to them. What was repulsive to them was that by offering this, Jesus was connecting himself inextricably with God the Father. And he was saying, you don't have a place with God the Father unless you are willing to fully embrace, fully ingest who I am and take who I am into the very core of your being. That's where the reaction came. All in or not is what he was asking them. And that's when we get to the tipping point. John chapter 6, verse 60. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Friends, it was not hard because they didn't understand. It was hard because they were unwilling to accept and apply it to their own lives on a spiritual level. He said, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this point, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What's my tipping point? Friends, this is just between you and God. Where your tipping point is is not the issue. The issue is, do you know where it is? And what are you willing to do about it? At what point in my spiritual life am I inclined to say, or perhaps have I said, Jesus, that's just too hard. Not going to do it. At what point in my spiritual life am I inclined to, or have I said, you know, this is where I draw the line. Relationally, financially, your own personal integrity and honesty, your faithfulness and service, this is where I draw the line. At what point 
in my spiritual life, do I say or have I said, I won't go there. I won't do that. I won't give that up. What's my tipping point? Realistically, I understand in the time we allow for a message of this type, you don't have time to dig into that on the level it deserves right now. But I invite you to leave here with a determination simply to invite the Holy Spirit to guide you as you drill down into that concept a bit in the days to come. Invite him. Show me, Lord. Show me the tipping points in my life. Because you really can't get serious about fixing them, addressing them, changing them, erasing them, until you understand and accept where they are. Remember the painful lesson Peter learned. He had the audacity and stood up and said, I don't have a tipping point. I don't care what happens, Jesus. I'm there for you. And Jesus said, I'm sorry. You've got a tipping point. And it crushed Peter to have to admit it as he watched his friend and Savior crucified after he had denied him over and over and over again. What's my tipping point? Be honest with yourself. Hear me well. Be honest with yourself, but don't beat yourself up over it. You know what? If you say, gosh, didn't take me very far to reach my tipping point and say, Jesus, I've had enough. Don't beat yourself up or berate yourself. Just be motivated to move forward. Just one tiny step and then another. Just be motivated to deepen your commitment just a bit. To me, it's important to note that those who didn't leave Because as we read in the next few verses, Jesus turned to those closest to him and said, what about you guys? You know, is, is this your tipping point? It's important to understand. It's okay to wrestle with it. But he also wants to walk with us as we move through it. Lest I leave you on a negative note, I call you to the last portion in the scripture I print. I'll pick up with verse 66, which we already read. It says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Then he goes on, turning to those closest to him, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, there's an element of tragedy to this story. To realize that for many in this story, because they surrendered to their tipping point, they ended up walking away from the hope of the world. They ended up walking away from the offer of life eternal 
as we say often here. They chose to walk away from a real, personal, life-changing love relationship with the Holy One of God. While those who are willing to lean in and say, you know what, I do have a tipping point. They didn't understand. Even those who stayed didn't understand all of what Jesus was saying. They didn't have all the answers yet. But they were still willing to lean into that. They leaned into that hard teaching, pressed past their tipping point, and discovered in the process a world they never knew existed. They embraced strengths and abilities over the next several years that they never knew they had. And those who leaned into the hard teaching were used to literally change the world for all of eternity. Something to think about the next time you or I are faced with a difficult spiritual decision. Am I willing to lean into that hard teaching and discover what he has for me on the other side? Or I'm going to say, it's just too hard. I just don't understand enough. I'm not willing to move forward. I'm, I'm kind of comfortable. I'll just kind of stay here. Quite the choice, wouldn't you say? I look at that last phrase that I read from verse 69. Peter said, We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a revelation. My question is, have you? Have you come to believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Because that, my friends, is what will enable us to lean into the hard moments and to resist giving in to a tipping point. Many of you know that um, a part of my goal, I don't always mean it, but one of my goals is for us to have communion on a, on a quarterly basis. And because I've been gone for a whole quarter, uh, as soon as I got back, I wanted to make sure uh, that we provided that opportunity. And so what we're going to do uh, is I'm going to offer the invitation, which I normally do, and then I'll explain to you how we're going to uh, process through the elements. So again, I, I typically, not always, but I typically want to remind you um, that within the Wesleyan Church, uh, we practice what is called open communion, which means you do not have to be a member of this church in order to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. Uh, we do ask that if you're receiving it, you're receiving it as an acknowledgement of your personal belief that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, that he did die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and rose again on the third day, triumphant over sin and death, and to this day is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So basically we're asking by, that as you receive this, it's simply your acknowledgement um, that you believe Jesus is who he said he was, and that he did what he said he did, and that he did it for you. So that's what we simply ask. 
Um, some of you are familiar that there are other branches of the faith uh, where you have to be a member in order to receive the sacrament. So that's why I like to remind you of that each time. The other thing that I often say is I understand that communion uh, can be and should be a very deeply personal thing. And there may be times, there have been times in my own life that based on stuff I was working through, maybe it was a hard teaching I was working to process, a lesson I was learning, there have been times I've chosen not to receive the elements just because I was wrestling with stuff and I, and I chose not to. So please understand that as we pass the trays, if you choose not to receive the elements today, there, there's nothing to be self-conscious about. Simply just pass it on and enjoy the moment of quiet reflection that we're providing um, for wherever you need to think and process. So I just, I like to clarify that before we uh, present the elements each time. There is an invitation that I would offer to you, and it is one I try to offer every time. It says, you who are walking in fellowship with God and are in love and harmony with your neighbors and you who do truly and earnestly repent of your sin and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking from this time in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and meekly make your humble confession to Almighty God. Would you please join me in the attitude of prayer as I offer a prayer of consecration? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in mercy gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, accept our praise, we beseech you. We thank you for your love, for the gift of your Son, for the sacrifice he made in our behalf, for the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our hearts, for the, for, for the present witness of your Holy Spirit to our hearts that we are your children, grant that as we receive this bread and cup in memory of Christ's death and suffering in communion with you and with your children we may be made partakers of his body and blood who on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in memory of me in the same way after supper he took the cup and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and poor many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in memory of me. Amen. Now, again, many of you have been around enough to know that we often do things in various and sundry ways when it comes to the offering of communion. And today is going to be just a slight variation uh, of what we've done in the past. Uh, we're going to pass out the trays, and if you look carefully, there are two cups together. In the bottom cup is your communion wafer, and the top cup is the juice. Don't confuse the two, or it could be messy for you, all right? So, but, so when the tray comes, make sure you get two cups as you lift it out. Once everyone has been served, I will walk you through. I will present the elements to you officially. Uh, and today, I will have your response in light of what we've just said, is instead of saying thank you, um, if you dare, I would invite you to say show me uh, as your response to these elements, inviting him to show you perhaps where there may be tipping points in your life you need to address. I'm going to present these to you both at the same time since you're receiving them at the same time. So what I would recommend that you do is after everybody's been served and I've presented them to you and you've responded with show me, uh, separate them, take the wafer first, then take the cup. After everyone's had an opportunity to do that, then we'll move on with the service. 
Um, I will tell you from personal experience, if you drink this first and then take the wafer, it'll stick to your mouth and you'll never get rid of it. All right? <laughs> have you, any of you ever noticed that? that I have a hard time talking after I do this? Uh, that's why, because it's stuck to the roof of my mouth. More information than you wanted to know. All right? So at this time, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and uh, we're going to pass out the, the trays. The body and blood of our precious Lord and Savior, which was given for you, may it preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. Receive this today with thanksgiving in your heart and be determined to respond to his direction. And your response is, show me. Father, we've been sitting here for a bit and these people have graciously listened to me and they've listened to your word. And now we have the the taste of that wafer, the taste of that juice in our mouths. And it's hard not to be humbled by what it represents. Understand that your body was broken and your blood was shed so that we might be drawn ever closer to you but more importantly, so that we might have hope for today and hope for eternity. Father, there is no shame in having a tipping point. But it's such a waste if we don't avail ourselves of the presence of your, of your spirit in our lives to empower us to press on past that, to lean into the hard things that will inevitably come our way because we have the assurance of your presence because we have the hope of you dwelling not just around us, but within us. And so it is in that hope that we look for the power to press on as you show us areas where maybe we need to lean in a bit more and press on a bit harder. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Michelle?